Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. Brexit will bring changes that affect businesses in many ways, particularly if you buy from EU suppliers, sell to EU customers, provide services to EU clients and receive customer data from other businesses in the EU. Businesses need to prepare. Find out how at gov.uk slash Brexit. Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. How is data transforming business? Presented by Enterprise Management 360 and moderated by Donna Burbank. Hello and welcome to the fourth installment of the EM360 podcast series on how data is transforming business in today's marketplace. Today we'll be talking about the role of the CDO in data-driven business transformation. I'm Donna Burbank and I'll be your host for today's discussion. And I'm old. Or at least I'm starting to feel that way. And I'm sure I'm not alone. When we look at the rapid transformation of technology and what is happening today, the sheer scale and volume is mind-boggling. I mean, who would have thought, believed us years ago when we predicted that we'd have self-driving cars and drones delivering our groceries or the answer to any question by typing into a box on your telephone? I mean, the information available to the average teenager on their cell phone far surpasses the information historically available in the typical library. So this democratization of technology and data is a seismic shift in the way we really run our lives and, to a great degree, how we run our businesses. So I've been in the data management industry over 20 years now, and what has honestly kept me in the business this long is not only the amazing technical innovation, but the fact that data and technology is now at the forefront of business innovation. Anyone who's been in IT long enough has done their time in the back office in the dark server room, right? But now IT's in the boardroom and at the forefront of driving business change. And that's a large part of what I'm doing in my current practice at Global Data Strategies. For example, helping a consumer energy company transform their business based on smart meters and the Internet of Things, or helping a restaurant chain move their brick-and-mortar experience to online ordering, and yes, they are even considering drones. So it's that intersection of old and new that we'll be talking about today, and that intersection of business and IT. So business optimization or entirely new business models are emerging as data-driven technology provides really an unprecedented opportunity for innovation and change. And the chief data officer, the CDO, is a role that's historically been associated with that back office or IT. So how does the CDO now change in this data-driven enterprise? And how does this role differ from or collaborate well with or is the same thing as uh, roles as the chief data analytics officer or the chief information officer? Is the CDO a leader of business transformation or a supporting role that defines just the technical infrastructure for change, or is it a combination of both? So on that note, allow me to introduce my special guest today on today's podcasts. I'm really excited for this discussion today because we'll have some of the powerhouses in the industry when it comes to data-driven digital transformation. So we have Vince Powell, who's the analytics and data management sales leader for EMEA at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, who supports digital transformation. Thanks for joining us, Vince. We have David Petersey, the vice president of sales for EMEA at Cloudera, which is one of the leading big data platforms in the market today. We have Sylvain Filippi, the CTO of DS Version Racing, who's partnered with HP to, HPE to crunch vast volumes of information from performance data and feed some of this uh, guidance back to Formula E race car drivers. And I am particularly very interested in hearing more in his perspective on how he's used data to both enable the next generation of electric cars and, and help with some uh, efficiency in the industry as well. So to start off my questions, I, I wanted to really start on that first topic of data-driven business transformation. And, and many 
organizations now are redefining themselves as a data business. So what does it mean to you to be a data business? And how is this different from businesses in the past that might have been using data to just support their business? So Vince, I want to start with you on that. What are your thoughts there? Sure. So a couple of things maybe just to get us going. I I think that um, being a data business is about number one, using all of the data, you know, so not just the data available within your organization, but data that's that's actually outside of that. And, and, and using it in a way that you can make available to everyone such that, you know, they can get greater insight uh, to make better decisions, simple as that. Um, normally, when, when we look at data-driven organizations, we see something of the level of about 20% uh, overall import, import improvement of performance to those that are not data-driven. The real key um, to becoming data-driven is being able to take that and to embed data into your operational processes such that you can generate change and, as I say, make better decisions from it. So, Sylvan, you're actually using data today in in your uh, Virgin Racing group. So what do you think about that topic? How would you define a data business? It's quite interesting because... um, with a motorsport background, actually, um, I hear at a lot of conferences that many businesses can improve and the more data they use and the more data they analyze, the, the better they can run their business. In motorsport, data is, is generally at the heart of everything we do. Uh, and it's been the case for, for a fairly long time. But what we see now is that this trend has been accentuated. Uh, and now by managing um, a Formula E race team, data is, is generally at the absolute heart of everything we do. Um, which is basically two pillars. One, uh, which is R&D, um, uh, testing, collecting data, and then developing um, motors, inverters, batteries, and so on. Uh, and the second pillar is how to manage a race team and improve our, our driver's performance and optimize the car for a particular track and so on. And this is also 100% based on the data we collect. Um, so, yeah, when I, I even though we don't have a CIO or CDO in our, in our organization, but as a CTO, I found myself spending 50% of my time looking at data, which I think is a, is a telling story. Yeah, and it sounds like you've been using data for a long time, but just with the new technology, it's even even more so. David, what do you think? So I think there's an old saying that says nothing in this world is new. And uh, I think it goes for businesses redefining themselves as a data business. We have seen organizations using data for a long time. It's just how they apply the data that has changed and how fast they can apply the data they are now having available. Some businesses, I think, would use the data to become the product in itself and really evolving from that old way of uh, running a business to a new way of developing a business. You know, I'm sure Sylvain will detest or uh, will confirm the fact that, uh, you know, even in the racing days, in the older days, they would still take the data back and they would still go and do something with it, but they would measure it over three or four or five different races. Now we have the ability to do it in near real time and do it and make the changes on the track. And businesses apply that across all industries. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that just the technology that's available today is just. Um really enhanced a lot from what can be done. So so back to that point that we started with, you know, there's the business opportunity and then there's particular roles in that. So what do you see as this, you know, CDO's role in data-driven transformation? Do you think this is a business role or is it an IT position? I mean, what are your, your thoughts there? And, and where, what is that balance between being a visionary and practitioner in the CDO role? 
and, and focusing on innovation um, or how much of that's also focused on the practical aspects of things like architecture and governance and security? What do you think that proper balance is between innovation and, and kind of the, the core architecture? David, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, uh, we, we certainly see um, various roles within organization um, and, and we see the CDO role really straddling between the chief analytics officer and the chief information officer. But then again, the, the fourth uh, uh, king in the pack is, of course, the chief information security officer. Data in itself, you know, who, can, who is authorized to see it? You know, how does the security work around that? How is the chief data officer going to supply that data to his or her customers at the end of the day? And and then make the best use through the analytics and the information officer to get that data through and out. So we see really that four roles playing a pivotal role within organizations in itself. Vince, what are your thoughts on that role? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo what, what, what Dave's just been saying there, that um, you know, this, is, this is a maturing um, environment and a maturing role in particular. What we typically see with, with organizations that have CDOs, um, normally these guys are, are pretty closely aligned with some form of digital transformation. And you know, they're going about achieving that digital transformation by making data the core of the transformational activity. Now, you know, that's going to be different for every different business and different industry. You know, uh, Sylvain was saying, you know, how, how you go about using data um, within uh, the racing environment would be different to how you use it in the insurance environment. And hence, you know, that, that role is going to be different. What we do see is the successful um, CDOs typically report into the board, report into the CEO predominantly. They are more focused on business priorities. They're more concerned about, you know, how do we get that customer 360 degree 360 degree program running or, you know, how do we get preventative maintenance going on critical business assets and that kind of stuff. The other little thing that we do see is this this little bit of a tension here between CIOs and CDOs, you know, so there is some overlap between those two roles, although, you know, I'd argue that the CDO is probably more business orientated than the CIO role. But actually, the CIOs that we, you know, we, we, we hear a lot of frustration that they're held back by legacy responsibilities and, you know, not really able to cross over to becoming more transformational because of, you know, what they've got to do to keep the, the ship floating, as it were, on a day by day basis. So more of a transformational role, I think. And, and do you think that's partly because the CDO is a newer role um, and they don't have those legacy issues to deal with? Or do you think it's a different personality altogether? Yeah, so so a bit of both. You know, I think typically these guys, um, CDOs, are, are typically from the business rather than from the IT department, as it were. And, that, and that's interesting in itself because, you know, sometimes you're not seeing a separate person. You're seeing that role spread across, you know, a number of people within the board, for instance. But, yeah, I, th- I think it is it's, it's a very different role. It's very new. It's being shaped, but it is different to the, the kind of CIO kind of approach that we've seen uh, at the moment. Interesting perspective. So, Sylvain, what are your, your thoughts? From my perspective, what's interesting is that um, I'm in, 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 a, in an industry that's changing very rapidly. So, um, just really on our side, we have, you know, again, we have the R&D and the information. So, I have a technical director on one side looking after R&D and a chief engineer looking at outside performance. Both of them spend all of their time um, analyzing our data. But what's really interesting is that as we move away from, from internal combustion cars to electric cars, um, more and more um, of the development is software-based. Um, the hardware of the electric car is actually getting simpler and simpler to some extent. Uh, but the software and the controls of, of this new kind of powertrain uh, is extremely complex. So 
first and foremost, data is at the heart of, of racing and optimization and everything we do in performance. But on the R&D side, developing the development of the car itself, um, it's less about uh, less about suspension and hardware and mechanical things, and a lot more about software. And uh, if you say software, you, you also say data, uh, because that's where that's how you develop it. So we have a super strong trend um, uh, in the automotive industry and in particular in motorsport, where um, I have a lot more software engineers uh, and, and less and less mechanical engineers, uh, and that's a really interesting trend. And uh, you can only do a good job if you have uh, if you have good uh, data inputs. Yeah, and no, I think that's fascinating, and I've been I'm watching that train. Trend in the industry, and I think it's amazing the, the things that are being done. Where really your car is just a big computer in a lot of ways, very different yeah. from what we had in the past. As an apex predator, the presence of snow leopards informs us about the health of their environment. That's why the Snow Leopard Trust has turned to Microsoft AI to find and study these elusive animals. With AI, it only takes minutes to analyze thousands of remote camera images and understand where these animals are so researchers have more time to protect them and their ecosystem. See how at microsoft.com forward slash AI. Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. Brexit will bring changes that affect businesses in many ways, particularly if you buy from EU suppliers, sell to EU customers, provide services to EU clients, and receive customer data from other businesses in the EU. Businesses need to prepare. Find out how at gov.uk slash Brexit. Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. You're listening to the Data Transforming Business Series here on EM360 Tech Radio. I want to touch back on something that... um all of you brought up in the past that, that that we have been using data for a long time. I mean, this idea of using data is not new, but what I think is new is this unprecedented rate of growth uh, of data and the change in technology that can help support that. So things like the Internet of Things, we have deep learning and artificial intelligence, big data. So what are your thoughts on how organizations can leverage these new technologies for strategic advantage and how can they be integrated because we've been using data for so long with some of the more traditional data assets, things like data warehouses and transactional systems that might be running the company? I'd like to start with you, Silva, because you are definitely living this with using data you know, for the for the race cars. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, without getting too technical, I mean, the, the change has been profound. You know, um, for, for sure, you're right. We, Motorsport has been using data for forever. It was pretty basic data. You needed it to optimize your cars, but it was like, you know, wheel speed sensors and, and things that are pretty basic. Now we generate, you know, we have between 300 and 500 channels just on one car. And we have all sorts of thermal, uh, uh, thermal sensors all over the car, the battery, the motors. Uh, so we generate so much data that even not long ago, you would have been absolutely unable to even understand and digest this data. So what's really, I guess what's interesting, what makes our case quite, quite interesting is that even though it's a, it's a bit of a niche environment, what's really interesting is that each time the car goes on track, we generate gigabytes of data every second across multiple channels, across very different formats. Uh, but what's interesting is that when the car comes back in the garage 10 minutes later, we have... 10 to 15 minutes to analyze all of that data, um, make sense of it, synchronize it against time of day, um, and then make the right decisions to improve the car that goes out again 15 minutes later. So it's not only the sheer amount of, of data, but it's more the fact that you have to uh, analyze it in the right way extremely quickly. 
Um, and that's what's really interesting. So that's what we do today in, in the race environment. And that's what I work um, with HP uh, with on developing the infrastructure that allows us to do that. But if you move a bit um, forward, uh, we are starting to work on autonomous cars. And that's even a greater example because now it's the true genuine definition of instant data. You have a computer in the car and the sensors get, collect all that data and the car, by definition, has to make the right decision in real time. Um, so that's what's really exciting. And if you want it to the next step of, of, of what we are doing. Um, so, yeah, fair to say that we are going to be uh, pretty busy with data, for sure. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And it's such a real-world example people can relate to. And I think your point is, is excellent, is we can collect all this data, but the real value is how do you analyze it and how quickly you can analyze it. And even that 10 minutes is... To your point, faster, but when you're now in a self-driving car, that's definitely real time. So, And so some businesses are not that speed-focused, and some businesses generate a lot more uh, data than us in terms of sheer quantity. But we, we are an interesting example in that we generate a fair amount of data, uh, but it's the rapidity in which we have to analyze it. That's really, uh, that's really exciting. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. David, what are your thoughts? What are you seeing in sort of some other industries that are using data in similar ways? Yeah, it's... Um it's it's quite one it's one of the most common questions uh that i get uh when i visit customers and partners it is we have all this data what do we do with it and i think if you are a an organization that's developing or you want to be disruptive in the market you want to be intuitive uh you want to drive some kind of initiative always put yourself in a position and think if i have all the data in the world what is the one question i would ask that data right now and from there, your strategy will build on. Because if you're in the healthcare industry and you are, you've got all the data that you need around genome development, what is that one question you would ask? And where would it take you? You know, there's, uh, there's, an, there's an old saying as well in our world that says the data never lies. Uh, you know, we can all have emotional attachments to some answers that we wish are true. But when you look at the data, it points you in a completely different way. You know, telcos uh, having an ability to know with a degree of accuracy where your home location is because, you know, five days out of 10 days or six days, you are sleeping in a location between midnight and 6 a.m. at a certain place. So therefore, is it worthwhile saying that that's your home place? Potentially, yes. So really, you've got to think about how you want to apply this data. And as organizations and as people, we now have an ability to take that velocity that you talk about and start capturing it and start making sense of it. Yeah, I think, you know, especially some of the big data technologies that are out there, it's just amazing the amount of things we could look at that we couldn't even couldn't even think of answering those questions in the past. Vince, what do you see? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd echo that again. The volume and growth rate of, of unstructured data in particular, um, you know, is phenomenal. Um, you know, you think about you know, video data and how that's now starting to be used in things like, um, you know, train stations where you stand on a platform uh, and it looks at the loading across the platform and works out, you know, the train coming up. You want to move kind of 10 metres down because it'll, you'll be in front of a carriage that's more empty than the one that you're standing in front of now. Um, or, you know, at the moment, Amazon Alexa, I mean, everyone's going to have an AI device in their in their house pretty soon. You know, you've got to, you, these kinds of things will move into the work environment. We're working with clients doing um, automated minute taking from meetings at the moment. What's interesting about all of those things is they're pretty complicated and, and you need people with real deep skills to be able to, you know, understand the business challenge, to build the models, to understand the data, to engineer it and to bring the whole thing together. 
and that in itself is a challenge. I mean, you know, how many of us have managed data scientists? I mean, those guys, you know, are pretty unique in their skill set, very, very needed, but actually needed to be used in a particular way and combined with people in the business world or, you know, in government or public sector and that kind of stuff. So, you know, those challenges of how you how you get the data, how you use it, how do you engineer it, how do you build models around it, how do you embed those models in operational processes, you know, it, that's a complicated thing and you really need some expertise and, you know, help in order to make sure you get that right. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to follow up on that point because, I mean, the interesting thing, although a lot of those skills can be very technical and, and specialized, the amount that's available to average business users or people in general, you know, the fact that we have so much data storage available that just was never, you know, like research scientists had that in the past. And a lot of the tools are becoming user-friendly. Um, so that people can do their own sort of self-service BI or this talk of this democratization of data where more business users you know, are, are getting more hands-on, but there's that double-edged sword. So, you know, how does the role of the CIO or the CTO balance this idea they need to manage and govern data while at the same time letting people kind of have the freedom to explore? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, David? I'll start with you. Very similar to my earlier answer, you know, if you had all the data in the world, what is the first question you would ask? the data. Now, I would then follow up this position that you have now with uh, who wants to have access to that data. So really think about the authentication and the authorization. But I think uh, within the CDO role to apply that balance, you know, you need to think about where the data is coming from, what meaning the data has, what the information it carries, how it will be tagged, uh, the visibility across the organization, and uh, and then be able to to give those nuggets out to those business users uh, with the right balance about what do they want to do with it. And I think that's the kind of balance and the democratization, the democratization that we see within the industry. Sylvan, is this an issue for you at, at Virgin Racing, or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's common across almost all sometimes, but in our case, we have we can almost consider that we have almost a limited amount of data. It's truly unlimited, but we have so much of it that we always have to make sure we have the right focus. Um, and you could always, there's always something more you could do that's interesting uh, beating motorsports. You could always develop the car, you could always uh, your tractor operations. There's, there's always something that can be done better. Um, so it's really important to to focus and, and set yourself some priorities against the time frame uh, and make sure you hit these objectives uh, because the competition is obviously doing the exact same thing. So even though it's not a traditional business case, it's, it's very similar. Uh, you have to, uh, to set yourself some, some priorities, some objectives, and then stay extremely focused because you can also be distracted by uh, a huge amount of data. Um, and I see that with my engineers who can work on the performance on the, of the car, can work on the energy side, on the efficiency of the car. But there's so much of it that, you know, if, you, if you're looking for a particular outcome and a particular answer, about uh, a particular problem, then you need to focus on that. Otherwise, you get you get distracted. Yeah, that idea of you know not only security around information, but just even if, if you can see it, do we want to see everything? Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem we have. There's too much out there. Yeah. Well, never too much. You need to mention. Taking your point a little bit further, there. I mean, there's kind of a cha- challenge. Number one is when you start in the whole route of democratization of data is you know getting the data in the right place and making sure that the controls are there. You know, too often we see clients, unfortunately, that have spent a lot of money on technology. They've built the big data lake and they really haven't invested in the information lifecycle management processes and the data has um, gone out of date or it's been corrupt in some way or it doesn't match 
um, and the end users have lost confidence in it and then the whole program fails. So, you know, those basic principles, not only complying with regulatory controls, but complying with access controls and confidence and all that kind of thing is, is really important. The other thing I'd add is once you've given people tools, um, they need some guidelines for how they use them. We're seeing in um, health authorities across Europe, um, they, they're kind of interesting. They're using user groups. So within um, a health authority, they've set up a user group for their tooling. And the tooling is defining the guidelines for how that data will be used and be presented and analysed. So that's a pretty you know, neat way of making sure that you've got alignment between the business and the regulatory controls and some consistency across the, across the, the enterprise end to end. The other thing is about, you know, this whole concept of how you bring different skills together. So, you know, if I can truly democratize my data, if I can provide to my end users all of the data that I have available to them, you know, if I can add in some real deep data skills. And again, you know, I'll come back to the data science kind of side of this. If I can add that in, you can then start seeing some multiplier effects. You know, you can start seeing people discovering things that they just did not know were there. And there's some real kind of leap opportunities that can be achieved out of that. Yeah, I mean, I like that point you made. It's not always about controls or limits, but really more about guidance. You know, I think, you know, assuming people want to learn this, how do we guide them in the right way to really get those discoveries? Who might understand the business, but not the data. But there is that regulation side, and that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, especially in Europe with the, the, um, the European General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, there can be significant fines. It can be up to 4% of an organization's, organization's annual revenue if you, if you don't comply in things like citizens' private data. So are you seeing this impact organizations today? Are, are this, is this top of mind among companies? Or what are you thinking? Vince, is this an issue for you in the race crime? It, it, it's becoming. I think, I think GDPR is still very, very new. You know, when we talk to clients, we, you know, we kind of hear lots of people say, well, it's not really a problem. You know, our existing policies, procedures, practices, you know, we, we've got that covered. Maybe they, they don't fully understand uh, the extent of some of the GDPR change, or maybe they have got them covered. Um, the, the, the other side of that is we, we do hear a lot of clients who um, are yet not started even looking at those kinds of things. There are some some very clear differences. Most you know public sector bodies have already established use groups, have already got programs running. When you look at all of those kinds of programs, they have some very common um, information lifecycle management principles and practices around them. So, you know, data ownership, deduplication of data, controls, those kinds of things. So I think for me, GDPR, we're at the beginning of this. Uh, I think that, you know, we might have a few shocks pretty soon when people start realising the extent of some of the things that they may have to do. But actually, you know, our advice would be, let's get those basics right. Let's get that information lifecycle management environment operating in the way it should do, you know, and that then starts to move you to be compliant with those kinds of policies and procedures. I think that's a good point. So what you're saying is, you know, similar to the previous question, you need to be doing these things anyway, right? So it's not necessarily this is a new burden. It's, it's just enhancing your existing processes that should be in place. Yeah, absolutely. So David, what do you think? I think compliance done sensibly and definitely with a greater goal of becoming data-driven uh, often presents a leap for businesses in itself. Certainly the CDOs that I talk to, this is something that is on their radar for May 2017, I think it is, is the deadline. And to Vince's point as well, you have a mixture of organizations who say, we will get there. And another part of the organizations who goes, how do I get there? And there's another part of the organizations as well that says, well, 
how is it going to be managed? And I think that this industry will feel the the depth of the GDPR compliance once company gets fined. And I think that there are going to be some companies who are going to try and get through it and past it and maybe go past the deadline. But you're going to see a complete change in focus once one's company gets fined by uh, by a regulatory. And all of a sudden, this is going to become a major issue, even bigger than some of the past ones that we've seen. So it sounds like um, a lot of percentage of what you're seeing is not necessarily that people don't want to or don't realize, but maybe don't know how to get there. Is that fair? Or could you talk a little yeah, about I that? Think, uh, I think they're looking for partners to help them to get there. I think they, they kind of know how to get there, but they're looking for partners to help them to get there. So how do I become GDPR compliant by the deadline? Uh, and if you're a big financial institution, I can tell you now that this is in the top five priorities, at least. That's good to see. So, Siva, is this an issue at Virgin? Are you looking at it now, thinking of looking at it, not as much of an issue for you? Or what do you think? Hello, that, that's good. I, I would say it's funny. Uh, motorsport is usually a pretty good case study because it's very uh, – hostile, difficult environment to work in. But actually, that's, I think that's the one issue we don't have to deal with. It's very good. We, we, only, we only gather um, car and technical and technology data, not, not people or citizens' data. So unless I got something really wrong, I don't think we have too much to worry about that. Um, however, security in general is a huge issue for us. And, maybe we talk about that later. Um, and it's a little bit related. But uh, I, think, uh, I think we skipped the bullet on one. Yeah, was well, one good thing, right? Everything else is difficult. <laughs> I mean, we, we sort of talked about a lot of things for someone coming into this role of trying to manage data, um, you know, from understanding the business, you know, looking back and seeing where we've used data in the past and how we can use it better, looking ahead and seeing how we can maybe use it in different ways, Um and also some of the risks of things like compliance and things like security and things like just, you know, understanding how with the massive volumes of data, what to focus on. So to kind of close out our thoughts, if you were to give some recommendations to someone entering this role, what would there be? And how can they really you know, not just try to manage the tsunami of data, but really get a seat at the table of maybe helping to transform the business? So, so Van, I'm going to start with you because you're probably closest to the, the coalface, as they say, doing this live. I mean, what are your thoughts and advice to people maybe entering this space? Yeah, I think actually wherever you are in, in the business or in our case, the sports as well, performance, but actually I think it's the same process. And as um, everyone has said um, so far, uh, and in our case, it was very true. For sure, the one advice is that you start from the end. You start from what is it that I want to achieve and what is it that I need to know uh, either straight away or after a period of time uh, to achieve what I want to do. You start from the end and then you work backwards to figure out um, what is your uh, what, what kind of software and interaction you need to, to understand that and then going back even further. Uh, how do you get the data in the first place to achieve that? Um, so that's what we've done here at Virgin Racing. Instead of using... Um, uh, commonly accepted and, and, and traditional motorsport tools. We have spent a, an awful lot of time and money uh, developing our own completely bespoke uh, set of software because of that, because we started from the end and we realized that our needs our needs from the data um, were really vastly different uh, to traditional motorsport. So the, the existing tools were, were just not suitable for us. So we started from the end and then we developed our own um, uh, front office software, if you want. Um, and then from then on, we uh, we then developed the uh, data and the um, IT infrastructure that we needed to make sure that we get that data at the speed that we wanted. So I think I would have thought that's applicable to almost all businesses. Uh, if you start from the data and you have so much of it, you can pretty easily get lost uh, and, and not necessarily manage it in the best way. But if you have a very clear 
um, uh, objective. And you start from that and, and you work backwards. Yeah, and I like that point you made about look at your end game, look at where you want to be, and then how you get there. And I think what I found in my own business that generally the answer is yes, I can get there. With the amount of technology that and data that is out there, can't say it's always easy. Um, but I think that's a new way of looking at things that we didn't have that opportunity in the past. So it's an interesting perspective. You know, Vince, you work with a lot of different companies. What, what are your recommendations to someone entering this role? Yeah, so, so, so I'd, I'd, I'd echo what uh, Sylvain has just said about you need to identify what the tangible business results are right up front. Most of the successful CDOs we see are guys who have a very, very clear point of view of how they're going to get to those things through some kind of digital transformation. And when you when you look at the data component of that digital transformation, you see three big problems. Number one is how do you break down the silos? You know, how do you get this data under control? How do you how do you get it operating across the whole of the business? Secondly, how do you address the technology problem? You know, Sylvan says you may have to end up, you know, becoming a software business yourself in order to do that. I mean, take a look at some of the large um, automotives and what they're doing in the software space at the moment. And then finally, how do you get the value? You know, so you've got the data and you've got the technology. You know, how do you get that to your to your end users? How do you get that real insight? You know, do you need to create kind of data lab environments, for instance, to bring different functions together in order to drive that transformation? So kind of a couple of things there. Number one, start with the end. Number two, you know, have a really clear point of view on business digital transformation. And then number three, you've got to overcome silos, technology gaps and value gaps. It's interesting that, you know, this you would think at the the top um, CDO would be very technical data role, but both of you have definitely focused on the business side first. Um, so, David, would you agree with that as well? Do you see this primarily a business um, and or what, what recommendations would you give? It's, yeah, it's quite interesting to hear. I, I would say it's probably 60-70% business, so I would agree with all the points that both Sylvain and, uh, and Vince have said. I'd add two extra points. That is to point number one, technology changes so rapidly that don't put that big picture as a fixed big picture. You know, standards change. Open source is, of course, uh, a big component to everything that everyone does these days. Vendors will change in the way that they approach, so don't lock yourself in. And then I think the point number two, got to ask a lot of questions and you've got to listen to those answers because a lot of the way that the, the companies would run with a CDO business is the answers would come from the bottom. And uh, that will help guide the CDO in what it is that they need to do. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting perspective as well, um, especially coming from the big data space. And I, I would agree with that perspective as well. When I go to a lot of customers, I can sort of do both. It's the top down, where do we want to hit? And then the bottom up, um, because there is so much technology that's evolving all the time. There's a lot of opportunities out there now. So, yeah, I appreciate that. So this has been a great discussion, I think, and I could talk personally all day about it, but we are out of time. But I think this topic of business transformation and how data uh, and the role of the CBO can drive that, it's really topical um, and, and very helpful to a lot of our listeners. So I wanted to thank you all. So, so Vince from HPE, uh, thank you for joining us. David from Cloudera and Silvana from uh, DS Version Racing. So thank you all for joining, and we'd like to hear you at the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How is data transforming business? This podcast was presented by Enterprise Management 360 and moderated by Donna Burbank. Head to em360tech.com for more. As an apex predator, the presence of snow leopards informs us about the health of their environment. That's why the Snow Leopard Trust has turned to Microsoft AI to find and study these elusive animals. 
With AI, it only takes minutes to analyze thousands of remote camera images and understand where these animals are, so researchers have more time to protect them and their ecosystem. See how at Microsoft.com forward slash AI.